we're treating patients, not populations, we have to individualize the care on the patient. That was Dr. Dharmesh Patel. Dr. Patel is a cardiologist at the Stern Cardiovascular Foundation in Memphis, Tennessee, a fellow of the American College of Cardiology and a member of the American Society for Preventive Cardiology, National Lipid Association, and the American Heart Association. Dr. Patel also serves as president of the board for the Partnership to Advance Cardiovascular Health. I'm Ryan Gooch. Dr. Patel, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the Patient Access Podcast. Thank you, Ryan, and the people that will be listening to this uh, podcast. So, Dr. Patel, I think back on 2019, and I think about all of the column inches uh, and airtime that was devoted to cardiovascular health, which is kind of abnormal if you think about it. Um, Off the top of my head, I can remember a major piece in the Wall Street Journal, as well as an American Medical Association piece that was cited in the Washington Post. Um, What is the news in the cardiovascular world right now? Well, I think the news is quite striking. And one point I want to make right off the bat, Ryan, is, you know, the American Heart Association actually had a goal of reducing heart disease and stroke by 20% by 2020. But the issue is, Ryan, the headway we made uh, in the 1990s really has halted, if not reversed. And in fact, we now have CDC data showing that there's potentially a 4% increase in cardiovascular deaths from 2011 to 2017 for patients aged 45 to 64. But Ryan, the sobering fact is that cardiovascular death still remains the number one killer. And really what's very sobering is the fact that cardiovascular rates of death may be on the way up. Dr. Patel, can you give our listeners an example of what the quote-unquote typical cardiovascular patient looks like in your clinic? Absolutely, Ryan. You know, the fact of the matter is we have an aging population, and that's number one. With better therapy, people are simply living longer. And when people live longer, certainly there are more issues that come to the table and to the clinic. And the point being that as a provider, it's not uncommon for a patient, let's say with heart failure, or let's say with diabetes, or let's say even with heart disease, coronary arteries, it's not unusual for this patient to be on generally five to eight medicines due to guideline-driven practices. So the patients are complicated, the patients have more problems, and you know we'll talk about this later, but as patients have more medicines to take, it certainly plays a role in how many medicines they can afford and coverage and um, other things like that. Dr. Patel, if you're talking to a legislator or a head of an agency or a state Medicaid director, for instance, and let's just assume that this person's not a physician, um, how do you explain to them the, the magnitude of the problem and the scope of the problem that we're seeing yeah. across the country yeah today well i mean let's just talk about if someone i mean number of course number one heart disease is number one cause of death in america stroke is number four or number five in the country the point being we are not doing a good job with health care costs and quote the prevention of cardiovascular disease 
you know, I can go on and on. A patient has a stroke, their indirect and direct costs are about a million dollars over the next 10 to 20 years. I can talk about the fact that it's better to maybe spend $1 in terms of prevention now rather than spend 3 to $3.5 in treating the disease state. So I think we really have to take a step back and understand, are we just trying to treat people when something happens? Or should we be looking at patients and preventing these events from happening? Should we be spending more on lifestyle changes and prevention? Examples would be things like, let's say, smoking. You know, the AHA was uh, key in smoking prevention programs in public areas, reduced the heart rate of heart attacks by 35% in two years. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, things like legislation on having uh, carbonated beverages and high salt intake foods at school vending machines. That was addressed too. These are simple things that can be done to prevent catastrophic events. But I really feel our focus should be on prevention because the magnitude of health disease and heart disease is escalating. You know, we as a country could go bankrupt if we don't get a grip on the treatment and prevention of cardiovascular disease. Dr. Patel, in the cardiometabolic world, I think it's fair to say that we're seeing this kind of second renaissance in medicine. Um, in the Wall Street Journal, there was a quote from some scientists and public health officials saying that, that doctors and public health officials and scientists need new tools and approaches to combat the problem that we're seeing across the country. Can you shed some light on what they're really talking about? Yes, Ryan. And, you know, as a provider, patients have disease. And, yes, there are medicines, tools, devices out there that can really help patients. But sometimes, sometimes the medicines, are the science lags the guidelines. And what I mean by that as providers, we do practice evidence-based FDA-approved type medicines. But sometimes the process of getting them approved certainly is erroneous. And once they do get approved as a provider, it seems like when I see a patient these days, there's three people in the room. It's me, it's the patient, and the insurance provider, as an example. And what I mean by that is, you know, as a provider, I may have cutting-edge tools or therapies or medicines that I want to give to patient X. But the problem is sometimes the insurance company doesn't prove it, sometimes it's too expensive, sometimes they have to go through step therapy. There are so many different factors that go into just simply writing a medicine and giving it to a patient. So, every, you know, we're treating, we're treating patients, not populations. We have to individualize the care on the patient. You know, as a provider, we're given guidelines, and let me just be clear, guidelines are simply a guideline or a policy but it's not the holy grail so dr patel one theme i'm picking up on here in your comments is that while our understanding of the, of the science and its implementation in medicine increases naturally you think that we should move to a more patient-centered healthcare system as opposed to a kind of disease-centered population-based healthcare system that we currently have can you expand on that a little bit yeah, it's, it's the, yes, it's the fact, Brian, that we are treating populations and not patients. You know, just because the guidelines say that we should try this medicine first, it may be not so 
appropriate for certain patients who have other comorbid problems. A patient who has diabetes and heart disease, there may be a better choice than someone that simply just has diabetes, for example. Or a patient that has diabetes and heart failure, there may be a better choice than someone that simply just has heart failure uh, alone. So the point being, we have to individualize the therapy to the patient. And you know, we have many excellent studies out there categorizing which kind of patients did best with what certain therapies. So I want to talk for just a second about how the change in an average patient's profile plays into your advocacy work, Dr. Patel. So you recently took the helm as president of the board for the Partnership to Advance Cardiovascular Health. We call that PATCH. Can you talk a little bit about what PATCH does and how its work aims to help patients? Yes, Ryan. You know, PATCH's mission is to advance public policies and practices that result, you know, really in accelerated innovation and improved cardiovascular health for heart patients. And to me, Ryan, that means that we galvanize the patient and clinician voice to support medical innovation and access to treatment so that we can, you know, really reverse the trends that we were talking about earlier today. We've had um, discussions with policymakers in uh, Washington, D.C. We've had papers that have come out about um, some of the uh, dilemmas that we have. We've highlighted issues about step therapy, prior authorizations, fact that patients have to restart the whole authorization process at the beginning of every year. Also, patients who may not be able to afford the medicine and patients who are denied medicine. And I, I would like to say, as you are aware, we had a wonderful success story in 2019 with the major insurance ca company in Mississippi in regards to cholesterol lowering therapies. And we, with the patch, were able to have patients finally in June of 2019 have access to medicines to reduce cholesterol, especially patients who had heart attacks and could not keep their cholesterol down, especially patients who had very high cholesterol and whose mum or dad had died at an early age from heart problems. You know, these are people who unfortunately, you know, need the help to reduce further cardiovascular events. So I feel that, you know, patch is just in its beginning phases. I think it's a, a wonderful organization that I'm proud to be part of. And more importantly, I really feel that we are making a difference for patients. Uh, if you've listened to our podcast in the past, uh, you know that we like to end uh, every podcast with a lightning round of questions. So um, you have 20 seconds to answer each of these questions here. All right, here we go. What's the single most important thing that can change healthcare for patients with cardiovascular disease in the next decade? Lifestyle changes. I think diet is key. So diet and diet and diet, diet and exercise. What's the best meal you've had in the last month? Thai curry chicken. Dr. Patel, thank you for your leadership and thanks for joining us today on AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Ryan.